0: Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light on Life Through, episode 178, my review of the first season of Debris on NBC television here in the United States. And what I did is I saw each episode each week, and I wrote a written review of each of those episodes. But what I'm going to give you now is each of those reviews with a couple of slight changes here and there, so you'll get a sense of the whole first season of Debris. So let's begin with Debris 1.1. I entitled my review of that episode, Some Probability of Gems Among the Pieces. Wasn't that a clever title? And Debris indeed debuted on good old NBC a couple of months ago. It's a fast-paced, surprisingly deep piece of science fiction, which I thought had real potential and actually I still think has real potential here's the setup in an alternate present or near future reality an extraterrestrial ship wrecked shows up in our solar system debris rained down on our planet And these debris have a bizarre series of unnatural effects, including allowing someone holding a piece to, quote, phase, unquote, through matter, having the effect on others of bringing the dead back to life in a way that, of course, has profound consequences for the survivors, etc., etc., The coming attractions advertised more of these effects to come. Jonathan Tucker plays CIA agent Brian Beneventi. Ryan Steele plays MI6 agent Fanola Jones, and they are cooperating for the most part, of course. That makes sense. After all, Brian works for the CIA, an American agency, and Fanola works for MI6, a British agency, and by and large, our two countries do get a along pretty well. And so Brian and Rianne are working together. Actually, did I say Brian and Rianne? No, I meant Brian and Fanola. Rianne's the name of the actress who plays Fanola. She does a very good job, by the way. Anyway, the two of them cooperate in an effort to find out what's going on, how to get on top of the extraterrestrial tech, etc., So, the first episode had a lot of pieces in motion at the beginning of this narrative. Some of them were obvious, but altogether the pieces could make, I thought, for a compelling piece of television. For one, the story picked up speed very quickly. That's always a good thing. And for another, the various powers that come from pieces of the wrecked ship have no apparent connection. And that's a good thing, too, because there are lots of possibilities, lots of room for development at that stage. I think it's become tough for a good old-fashioned network to put out a good science fiction story these days, given the advantages that streaming services have in making original leaps. But, you know, anything is possible in a weekly show, even though it's riven with commercials. Especially when the tableau is science fiction. So, I was looking forward to watching and reviewing at least the next few episodes. Which brings us to episode 1.2 that I entitled Clones, and you'll see why in a minute. And I like Debris 1.2. Actually a lot more than 1.1 the week before. That's always a good sign. I thought the story in the second episode hung together a little better, and maybe that was because its main theme was clones. One or at least two were clones of Brian. He kills one of them, which gave Craig the opportunity of getting off a good sarcastic line, something to the effect that it hurts to kill what you love most in the world. I don't know, would you love your clone most in the world? Who knows, maybe. Uh, The other was a clone of Brian with two heads. I'm not kidding. This harkened back to some movie from back in the 1970s, I think, about a guy with two heads. Actually, I do remember the name of that movie, The Thing with Two Heads, an incredibly lame movie starring Rosie Greer from back in 1972. Now, I should have mentioned in my first review that the creator of Debris is J.H. Wyman, who did a lot of work on the late lamented French. That show had a deliberate B-movie 1950s feel to it, which Debris almost happily picks up on. I don't mean this as an insult, by the way. I've been a fan of that kind of science fiction since I was eight or nine years old. By the way, the other clone of interest in this episode is Eric, who is wounded by a piece of alien debris that fell on his house, which then did him the favor of creating some clones of him, thank you debris, while it moved pieces of cars and other non-alien wreckage around his home. Why? To mark the spot? Who knows? The pace of Debris in this episode felt amazingly slow. I know I said otherwise last week when I was talking about the other episode or when I wrote the review of that other episode. But in this episode, that is 1.2, it was very slow in terms of telling us what's really going on. The episode holds its cards very close to its chest. I don't know, can an episode hold cards? Yeah, maybe... And so far in two weeks, all we've learned about the grand scheme of things in this narrative is that an alien shipwreck left debris on planet Earth, which is causing all kinds of strange effects. And as in Fringe, these effects so far are a blend of horror and science fiction, which is okay by me, but I'd like to learn more, and I guess that's the reason for the slow pace. I'd also like to see a little more story for Finola, the MI6 agent, played by Rhiann Steele. Let's get to Debris 1.3, which I cleverly entitled my review of that episode, Trapped Out of Time. And it was an excellent episode that connected in a bunch of ways and opened up some intriguing possibilities. The main agenda in that episode are people who disappear and are trapped in another dimension barely perceivable to us as a result, of course, of the debris. We hear clearly for the first time that the extraterrestrial ship was both intergalactic and extradimensional. In the case of the trapped people, they disappeared from Earth, ranging from very recently to as long ago as 1976. Hey, that's when my wife and I got married. I don't think that had anything to do with debris. But since the intergalactic extra-dimensional ship arrived in our solar system, at least as far as we know, just six months ago, this means that among the effects of the debris are some kind of wild extra-temporal consequences, too. That is a type of time travel. For the people who are trapped, it seems that just a very short time has passed, and judging by their apparent lack of aging, it indeed has. But by our tracking of time in which the weirdest thing is setting the clock backward or forward twice a year, by the way, I don't like when we do that in the fall, but I'm very happy in the spring because it gives us more light at the end of the day. But. Uh, That is the weirdest way in which we manipulate time in our reality. That is very different than, as I just mentioned, the time was manipulated in this episode. So I thought that was a good thing. And another good thing is that all the temporally trapped people in that episode are actually rescued, giving us the first passably happy ending in the first three outings of Debris. Meanwhile, the overlay of spy story is gradually getting more appealing, too. There's CIA and MI6, as I mentioned, cooperating most of the time. There are the Russians, and there's a mysterious group called Influx. Again, as far as we now know, the first three groups are human, but what about Influx? And then there's the question, which will likely be looming for a long time, actually two questions... Why did the ship come here, and why did it blow up or become a wreck and spew debris down on planet Earth? Chances are we didn't do that to the ship, but who knows. Alright, so there's more than enough science fiction and all of that to keep us occupied for a while. Let's see what happens in the subsequent episodes. Episode 1.4, I entitled that Suspensia. Belief—that's s That's S-U-S-P-E-N-T-I-A, belief. And I know I keep saying this, and that's because it's true. Debris does keep getting better and better, and it did this again in Episode 1.4. I especially like the use of extraterrestrial tech, Suspensia. To cure a different debris effect, the extraterrestrial terraforming of our atmosphere into one in which chlorine, deadly to life on Earth, replaces oxygen. Oy, not a good idea. Now this, again, like many an episode of Fringe, is an old and still intriguing science fiction chestnut of terraforming other planets to make them more suitable to human life and vice versa, that is terraforming our good Earth to make it more habitable to some alien species that, I don't know, would rather breathe in chlorine than oxygen. Phenola plays a major role in applying Suspensia to save a group of people who will die on Earth having been transformed into chlorine-breathing beings. She put them into suspended animation until we humans develop the means to bring them back to life in our oxygenated world. It's a big risk, of course, because who knows if that will ever happen, but it's far better than the alternative of choking to death, which is what would have happened to those poor people. Meanwhile, Fanola also learns that Brian knows her father is alive and he didn't tell her. This will put a little bit of a schism into their relationship, and in so doing, we'll further separate the CIA and MI6. By the way, missing in action in this episode, except in one short sentence, is influx. Hey, we need to learn more about them already. It's the fourth episode. But as long as the episodes keep getting tighter and tighter as they've been doing... I thought back then that I'd be more than happy to wait for the central plot to move along and find a more satisfying pace. There is something about Debris that increasingly has classic, as in destined to become a classic, written all over it, and I'm eager to sit back and see that happen. Debris, episode 1.5, I entitled my review of that, Fine Tuning. So, make this two weeks in a row with strong episodes of Debris. In fact, episode 1.5 was even better than 1.4 on all kinds of levels. Destruction was averted, and it would have been a major piece of devastation indeed, sending a piece of Manhattan to who knows where. By the way, that evokes not only the song, I'll Take Manhattan... But John Stiff's great novel, Manhattan Transfer, hey, you ought to read it if you haven't already, great novel. It requires not one but two pieces of interstellar debris that is stealing a piece of Manhattan posted in just the right places, fine-tuned and appropriately near-distanced skyscrapers. And the beings doing this come not from the stars, at least as far as we know, but are apparently the human beings in influx. Yes, we finally learned that influx are human beings. It's a mysterious organization trying to marshal the powers of debris for the organization's benefit. At least that's what we thought as of that episode. I'll tell you more a little later on. But as of now, the members of Influx take pills, which enable them to teleport through short, maybe longer spaces. And the guy with the beard, there's a guy with the beard who is in command, can join in a song playing blocks away. Hey, that's nice. Now, again, all of this feels like an update of Fringe to me, but that just is fine. Debris has the addition of the CIA-MI6 complex relationship of incomplete allies, and that's being well-developed as well in the interactions of Fanola and Brian, both with one another and with their higher-ups in the agency. Here's what I'd like to see already, however. How about a joint mission out into space to see exactly where the interstellar ship first appeared? If there were no such thing as discrete networks and streaming services down here on Earth in our reality, hey, you know what? There could be a crossover event between debris and for all mankind. But you and I both know that's not going to happen, and I'll settle for whatever Debris can dish out. Which brings us to episode 1.6, which I entitled my review of Fountain of Youth and Its Complications. And Debris 1.6 revisits the ancient Fountain of Youth myth in which you drink from some magical source of water and regain your youth. Later on in the New World, Ponce de Leon was allegedly searching for a fountain of youth when he discovered Florida. Fortunately, it didn't have the guy who's currently governor of Florida, but I won't get off on that. More recently, in 1985, Ron Howard directed Cocoon, in which alien cocoons found in a pool restore the youthful energy of elderly swimmers. And just... On that episode of Debris, we get a story in which interstellar debris literally makes very old people young again. Of course, in the legends and the science fiction, there's always a problem with the fountain. The price to pay, assuming the fountain is even found. In debris, the price is that everyone who gets young again has to stay in proximity to the other rejuvenated oldsters. If they don't, they'll go to old again and die. You know what? That doesn't seem like all that steep a price to me. And this undermines Brian and Fanola's motive in the narrative for getting the rejuvenated back to their original old age. What exactly would be the problem in setting up a community of young again people? Maybe this was explained and I missed it, because I'm getting old and I fell asleep, but I don't think so. And it seems the main motive of Brian and Fanola is to counteract any effects, any effects of the interstellar debris on Earth, even if those effects are beneficial. So this, in turn, brings to the fore a much larger question which gets at the very heart of this series. If all the effects of the debris were bad or could be used for bad purposes, it would make perfect sense to track down all the debris and keep them out of reach. But if some of the debris are beneficial, what then? Are Brian and Finola on the side of the Angels, or are they just another pair of warriors in a very new kind of war? By the way, I have to mention, back in 2010, I was interviewed on an episode of Ancient Aliens on the History Channel, And in that interview, I questioned why governments, rather than citizens, should be the presumptive interface between human beings and extraterrestrials who come to Earth. I mean, last time I checked, uh, we didn't elect people to office because we expected they would deal with aliens or extraterrestrials, right? Anyway, I'll post a link to that interview on the show notes of this light-on, light-through episodes. Look at 1 minute and 24 seconds into that video, and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right, let's get to the next episode, Debris 1.7. Oh, this is my best title for a review of a Debris episode. Actually, for a review of any episode of anything, I entitled it, Ferry Cross the Mobius. Oh, fairy, cross the Mobius. Well, that doesn't scan all that well, but hey, if you grew up in the 1950s and 60s, you'll hopefully remember what song I am spoofing there. It was an interesting episode, by the way, 1.7. It served up another example of what the debris can do, mixing horror and humanity in the now signature way that debris does this. But... Once again not moving the ball of understanding very much forward. Speaking of signatures, by the way, the story had a lot of nice mythological touches, beginning with the mention of the fairy. That's why I called this Fairy Cross the Mobius, and moving on to that sweet little girl with supernatural, i. e. debris endowed powers. These interludes have an almost scrapbook like quality. If only Brian and Fanola could see the whole scrapbook, rather than just these weekly pages. And you know, I feel the same way as a member of the audience. Now, as I just told you in my review of episode 1.6, I objected to the assumption of Brian and Fanola and their superiors that says, Governments are the proper custodians and regulators of the debris and all their effects. No one in any country ran on any platform in which they asked the voters to give them soul or any power to represent humanity and human interest in the event that we are visited by extraterrestrials and their debris rained down on us. Maybe someone on Twitter, maybe Scroobius Pip under a pseudonym, commented that that's what Anson Ash is saying and working against. He, that is Anson Ash, a character who we now find out works for Influx, he's played by an actor with a perfect name for a narrative like this, Scroobius Pip. To me, it suggests a combination at least of Ebenezer Scrooge and Mobius Strip. Anyway, In this episode, he is unceremoniously tortured by Maddox, our CIA guy. I don't particularly like him. I do like the actor, but not the character. And that, of course, brings home the point, doesn't it? What is our government doing torturing this guy? Now, back in the days of 24, Jack Bauer would regularly torture anyone who had valuable information about a terrorist plot and didn't want to share it. But Ash is not quite a terrorist. He's fighting for something which might take innocent lives for sure. But the philosophy of his cause, again, I think it has a good element. Fighting about a boat which so far in this story doesn't even have a name. Let's get to the next episode, Debris 1.8. I entitled this one, Resurrection and Its Hazards. And I thought Debris finally cashed in in this episode. All right, it was only the eighth episode, so maybe finally is a bit harsh. But it does seem like it's been a long time. On the promise or threat of Fenola's deceased father, George, being resurrected or reanimated is the more au courant word or term. Now, you know if that happened, that George wouldn't, couldn't possibly be exactly the same. What's the point of resurrecting someone if they're going to be exactly the same? That's pretty boring. And, of course, that's not the case here. You know, there's what I years ago called the paradox of duplication. You can never make a perfect or complete copy of a unique entity, such as any human being, because that duplication will undoubtedly rob the original of a crucial characteristic, its uniqueness. And worse than that, and this was explored so well in Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah, chances are the people or beings who brought a departed loved one back to life will endow that reanimated entity with something not to your liking. Since debris like Fringe is deeply obligated to the great science fiction of the past, of course there has to be something sinister about the alive-again George that will break Fenola's heart. We just got a glimpse of a confirmation of this in the very last scene when George, in quotes, I'm putting him in quotes because he seemed to disintegrate or, I I don't know, like sort of disappeared under a blanket. Anyway, one good thing about George Back to Life, however, at least as far as the viewing audience is concerned, is that he provided about the best explanation I've heard so far about why the interstellar debris are so valuable to Earth and humanity. We're way off track, falling apart, irrevocably declining, and the debris can help us right our costs. And a phrase, that debris technology can save us. Though that seemed a tad more relevant six months ago, we're still not completely out of the woods yet by a long shot, that is, out of the pandemic woods, so I'll keep watching debris. Now, i keep watching anyway because I'm an irredeemable or irremediable, I'm not sure what the best word is here, sucker for classic science fiction. Let's get to Debris 1.9. I entitled that episode, Resets 1. Whoa, I thought it was a brilliant, game-shaking episode, 1.9 of Debris, in which the piece of said Debris shifts those who come into its presence Drumroll! wait for this, into alternate realities, that is what clearly is not one but what seems to be an unlimited series of alternate realities. That would be a cool centerpiece of this narrative of any narrative, but the story that plays out for our characters is an ingenious piece of work in itself for just an episode of a television series. The hour starts off conventionally enough, that is conventionally enough for debris. A diver comes into contact with a piece of debris off the coast and finds he's in an alternate reality without his sister, who was in the first reality. And the narrative stays conventional enough, that is conventional enough for debris, throughout most of the rest of the hour. Brian and Finola investigate what's going on, now with the help of Finola's father. But the diver, desperate to get back to his missing sister, keeps jumping into the ocean and swimming towards the debris to enter yet another new reality where he hopes he'll find his sister. And we see everything from the diver's perspective, including Brian having different partners in some of these realities. I thought that was pretty cool. Fanola's father says colors are important in understanding what's going on, especially the color orange. I don't know. Is this an episode of in treatment? Hey, if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. Not science fiction, but it has the color orange in the opening credits. And an especially nice touch. It even looks like one of the Bryans has orange reddish hair. Yeah. So what did they do? They dyed Jonathan Tucker's hair, or just changed the lighting, or well, maybe my eyes or mine was playing tricks on me. But all of that is just prelude to what happens near the end. Brian tries to stop the diver from swimming towards the debris. The repeated resets of reality could, quote, damage the universe, unquote. And Brian gets sucked into an alternate reality himself, where, among other things, Fanola is not his partner. And this episode turned out to be just part one of a two-part story about alternate reality resets. I've seen some good alternate reality episodes on various science fiction series over the years. Those on Star Trek, the original series, and Star Trek The Next Generation are especially memorable. But I thought this episode of Debris was something new, very different, and right up there with the best. But, I have to say, I didn't even bother to review Debris episode 1.10, because I don't know. It was the second part of an episode, a two-part episode, in which the first part was great. And I really enjoyed the second part, too. I thought it was an excellent episode until the very end, in which Brian is reunited with Fanola. Okay, not that I wanted to see him stuck there, but there really wasn't much explanation as to how he got back with Fanola. In other words, I thought Brian got out of the alternate reality a little too easily. Anyway, see that episode for yourself. See if you agree. That's Debris 1.10. I entitled my review of Debris 1.11 Connections. That's probably my worst title for a review, but hey. Anyway, uh, that episode did make things easy for Brian at all. A woman... Near some debris knows about Brian's past, about events only he would have known from when he was serving in Afghanistan. So, Fanola figures out that when Brian was cloned, that the debris kept a part of him, or at least some of his memories. And this woman, who knows things only Brian knew, had some contact with some debris, and she picked up Brian's memories from that piece of debris. So that's a nice original premise for an episode, and it made me realize even more vividly that Debris is actually an anthology series, a compilation of all kinds of science fiction tropes, common and rare, all injected into Earth and humanity via the debris. The only problem with this, at least so far, is that all the episodes are pretty much equidistant from the debris, in the sense that none of them are telling us the story, what really happened, why the debris are here in the first place, as I mentioned earlier on, where the ship comes from, why the ship crashed. Isn't anyone on Earth devoted to investigating that? Or is everyone just running from one report of debris to another? But perhaps some good news on that score at the end of this episode, Finola has access to the Lagari File. And it looks as if all of this is connected to some kind of Native American event or legend. Hey, my second novel, Borrowed Tides, talked about the first starship to Alpha Centauri. And part of the navigational plan for getting there depended on an Iroquois legend about a river that flows both ways. So, hey, I think that's a good gambit. Debris, episode 1.12. I titled that Happy with a Question Mark. That's the next-to-last episode of this first season of Debris. By the way, still not renewed by NBC for a second season. I sure hope it is. And it was surprising for a penultimate next-to-last episode of any series that's not a sitcom. It apparently had a very happy ending. Coming attractions, of course, promised something much more perilous, much more sinister, but the twelfth episode of Debris actually saw Brian seeing the light as an understanding something about the debris he wasn't seeing before, and consequently letting the debris do their thing and fulfill a destiny as a bright light in the sky, on its way presumably back to the cosmos, or maybe the mother ship none of that again is still the least bit clear at this point but it has to be significant that brian is enabling not opposing or riding herd on the debris and he seems to be pretty much in his right mind now and there's also the fact that many fewer humans than usual got killed in brian's part of the episode in fact i'm pretty sure it was just one but what this all means for the future of us down here on earth is still uncertain Anson Ash is free, and that's likely not good for our side, although who knows exactly what our side is. Maddox is getting slightly less trustworthy in each episode. That can't be good either. Fanola's father George gave a rant against the government, which, as I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, I agree with. That rant makes him closer to Ash than Maddox. But does that mean Ash is the hero, and Maddox the anti-hero after all? Maybe. Ash likely holds the key to a decisive part of this. Why else free him after all of these episodes in this next-to-last episode? And let's get to that last episode, the Debris Season 1 finale, which I couldn't help entitling, Fringe with a Vengeance. You know, I've been saying throughout this review how reminiscent Debris is of Fringe, and sure enough, in the season one finale, none other than John Noble shows up as the head of Influx. Certainly, at least, a little higher than either Anson or Finola's father. In any case, Noble's Otto is a lot meaner than Dr. Walter Bishop in Fringe, and very likely doesn't have a cow that gives milk in his lab. Hey, I wonder if maybe Devin Nunes has some connection to all of this. Now, that's an inside American political joke. Look up Devin Nunes if you'd like to know why I just said that. But look, there's no doubt we'll be seeing more of Otto in season two, if there is such a season. There were lots of other promising developments in the finale, Finola's father is totally in with Influx, Brian has some very early encounter with some debris, and he's been taking injections to ward off possible ill effects, which is exactly what happened in this episode. And in the last minute or two of this episode, we uh, see a clone or whatever in the works for and of Finola. I'm still very partial not only to the show, but to the influx credo, which Fanola's father again eloquently intoned in this episode's let the people, not their governments, decide what to do with the interstellar tech that has fallen to Earth. And as I mentioned a little earlier in this review, I made exactly the same point back in 2010 in an interview on the History Channel. You'll find a link to it in the show notes to this episode. I make that point between 1 minute 24 seconds and 1 minute 47 seconds. Now, I do think Debris has been too diffuse this first season, too slow to get to punchlines, though all of this took a sharp turn for the better, I thought, with the two-part alternate reality episode a few weeks back. On balance, I say, give Debris another season to find its place and pace. Extraterrestrial technology is a hugely suggestive tableau, and I'd like to see another season of it realized the light on light through podcast well i hope you enjoyed this review of the first season of debris i'll be back here next saturday with another review of either a science fiction series or a science fiction movie maybe who knows a mystery series or a movie in the meantime stay safe stay sound and enjoy